Welcome to the God Reports podcast. My name is Sam. And I'm his wife, Rebecca. We love stories that describe the powerful ways God is at work. In the Psalms, David writes, Proclaim among the nations what he has done. God Reports really does that. It shares stories and testimonies from the mission field. In the best of God Reports interviews, we have compiled raw phone calls by journalist Mark Ellis, who happens to be my dad. He interviews the most inspiring Christians from around the globe. We are so excited to share our discoveries. We pray that your faith may be encouraged. Today's interview is from 2019 with author Beckett Cook. He shares about how God led him out of a season of emptiness into knowing his identity in Christ. We hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, well, we'll go ahead. Um, okay, so I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and at a very early age, I knew that I was, I started to feel this attraction to the same sex, and I didn't know what, where it came from, what to make of it. And so it was an odd sensation because I knew according to my family and according to, I grew up in the Catholic church and according to the Catholic church and according to just my peers, I knew that I couldn't really talk about this. So it was a secret that I held. I kind of led this double life where I had to, you know, on the outside, I pretended I was, you know, a normal kid, but on the inside, I was dealing with this, this, you know, this love that dared not speak its name, kind of, so to speak. So it was a little bit, it was a strange um, time. And I, I thought, well, this is just something that's, you know, kind of happening now, but it'll eventually go away. But it wasn't, it didn't, you know, traumatize me. It was just kind of a thing that I was feeling. And and then as I got older and into high school, I befriended uh, a guy who, and we went, I went to a Jesuit high school in Dallas, an all-boys school, and I befriended a guy who ended up coming out to me as gay, and I came out to him, and we started explore that's when it was kind of that's when it kind of shifted into high gear and that and we started exploring gay culture in Dallas like we went to gay bar I mean we were like 14 15 16 years old and we were going to gay bars in Dallas we were going wow. to nightclubs we were going to you know all these places and it was it was quite eye opening I mean I was I remember we walked into this this club in Dallas called the Stark Club which was designed by the famous um French designer Philippe Stark and it was owned by like Stevie Nicks and Grace Jones, and like we I, we walked into this club, and there were you know straight people, gay people, drag queens, like all these different people. And I remember feeling like wow, like these are my people. You know, I I felt kind of like this misfit internally my my whole life, and so I I was like these these are my people, and this is my music, and and I felt kind of at home for the first time, and and so. That that went on for you know throughout high school and then in college I the same thing happened I, I ended up befriending a, a, a guy and we came out to each other and during college and um and so it was the same thing we kind of explored gay culture together and and we went to bars and um so I had so in, in high school and in college I had this kind of 
friendship, a, a confidant that I could share because I wasn't fully out to everyone. I was I was only out to like a few people. And then after college, all this time I was, um, you know, I, even though I was raised in the Catholic Church, I God to me was was not even an option because I, the, the older I got and the more kind of uh, homosexuality became my identity. I, God was not even an option for me. And God was like, Christians were like the enemy. I, I was like, I'm, you know, I'm gay and Christian. I could never be a part of that club. So that's not even an option for me. I'm not going to think about God. I'm not even going to consider God. That That's just off the table. And, and so um, after college, I moved to Tokyo for a year to figure out just what I wanted to do with my life. And um, while I was in Tokyo... I had a, my roommate's best friend from Dallas came to visit us, and his name uh, was Mark, and we ended up um, falling in love. And it was the first time that had happened in my life. And so when that happened, that's when I fully came out to everyone. I came out to my family, my friends, everyone. That's That kind of was the, the tipping point. And I came out to everyone uh, when I got back from Tokyo, and How did your parents? <laughs> my family took. My family was interesting because I was the youngest of eight kids, and so there were so many dynamics going on in my family that me coming out as gay was was not that big of a deal. Even though my parents were they they were all orthodox in their views on the on this issue, and they were all you know they were all Christians. Um, and so my parents, my parents were actually really lovely about this, the whole thing. When I came out to them, they, my mother cried and, you know, I told her, mom, it's not a big deal. Like, it's okay. Don't worry. This is totally, you know, this is who I am. It's normal. It's fine. Like, it's who I am. And, um, and she, and then she got over it quickly. And then my father, the same. He at first, he you know, he came up to me and he said, "Are you angry at me for anything from, <laughs> from your childhood? Are you, are you mad about this or that?" And I'm like, "No, Dad. Like it's all fine. Like I'm gay. And it's okay. Don't worry." And so they were they were pretty they were pretty kind about it. And the rest of my siblings, I think they had their you know strong opinions about it, but they never really voiced them to me. Um, they just kind of let me live my life. And, I mean, what else? Was, I mean, they couldn't really do anything else other than that. So my relationship with that guy from to- from Dallas that I met in Tokyo, like, that ended. And then I in- I, I drove out. I literally, like, I was in the- enrolled in law school at this, this point. And two weeks before law school started, I decided not to go to law school and to move to L.A. and to pursue... Huh pursue acting and writing and my dad was a lawyer so it was kind of hilarious because I'm like dad uh I'm not going to go to law school I'm going to move to LA and he just was he was very confused um but he he you know again I was the youngest of eight he just was like okay do what you want like there was no pushback from him and I just loaded up my car and moved to Beverly Hills uh no I moved to LA and I you know I when I got here I, you know, I got into this group of friends who were all like-minded and 
they were all from kind of the East Coast, like Ivy League schools, very just whip smart, hilarious, fun, um, very ambitious group of friends. And they all, we all just had the same goals. Like we all wanted to make it big in Hollywood and, uh, and then find true love. And so we were always kind of looking for those things and, and, as the years, you know, as the years went by, all of my friends were becoming, you know, they were selling screenplays, they were making films, they, I mean, like huge things, huge films that became major, like everyone wow. knows them. And so, wow. um, and at this point, they also, <laughs> that whole group of friends now runs Hollywood, basically. So it's funny. But, um, so I was in this group wow. of friends and I, I had, you know, I was having the time of my life. I was, I was pursuing acting and writing and it was, it was going semi okay. I was doing well in commercial acting and doing some writing and I sold a couple of TV shows, but they didn't go, they didn't go anywhere. So at a certain point I, I fell into set design and that's what I had been doing for a long time. Um, production design for like, okay. fashion shoots and. And so, um, but, so when, when I was, you know, living this life, I was having so much fun and we were going to parties all the time and meeting everyone and premiere, movie premieres and to the Oscars and to the Emmys and the Golden Globes and all the after parties and, you know, and I was just literally meeting everyone. I mean, and friends with everyone. I mean, I, I went to like Cabo, San Lucas with, Many driver for her birthday, you know, it's just like, I was just like very <laughs> involved in Hollywood and I was having kind of a really, I was having a really fun time and I thought, you know, this is, this is what life is about. It's, it's about just kind of really achieving things and having this kind of these amazing experiences. So yeah. I, was satis- I was satisfied with that for a long time. And then uh, I guess about, uh, t- you know, 10 to about 10 years ago, 10 to kind of 12 years ago, I, the law of diminishing returns began to set in. And I, I felt like, you know, is, I don't know. I just started to feel like these parties that I was going to and all these people I was meeting. I mean, I was hanging, I was going to Ariana Huffington's house for cocktails and I was going to, you know, I was like going to Nia Vardalis' house with Tom Hanks, with having dinner with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep, and like all these things. Mm. It, but it just wasn't. It was weird. At a certain point, it started to not do anything for me anymore. And I was, and I, and then, and then I was in. Uh, I used to go to Fashion Weeks in New York and Paris, and I was in. Uh, was it Fashion Week in Paris in March of two thousand nine? And I'd gone to a, uh, a bunch of the, the shows, the runway shows, and I went to an after party for Stella McCartney's show. And I was at this after party, and this was kind of a turning point in my life. And I was at the after party, and I just kind of looked out. I was drinking champagne. Everyone was there from the fashion world. And people were dancing and having the times of their lives. You know, it was just, And I was just looking out over the crowd, and I just felt this overwhelming sense of emptiness. And I was like, what is going on? 
like, this can't be my life. I can't keep going to parties and like, this isn't doing it for me anymore. And I don't know what is going. I mean, I was, uh, I was terrified of the future because I was like, this can't, I can't do this anymore. And so, so I, I had this moment and I just left the party without telling anyone. I just kind of ghosted and went back to my hotel and I was up all night, you know, just like in a panic about the future and about what, you know, what is my life and what's the meaning of my life. And it's not like I hadn't thought of the meaning of life before because obviously I wanted to know the meaning of life and I had searched in so many places you know I'd read so many Russian novels and gone to so many plays in uh, New York and in London um, by really serious playwrights like Tom Stoppard and and, uh, Eugene O'Neill and Harold Pinter and all these you know, brilliant playwrights, I thought, oh, these guys will, these guys are so smart, they're going to give me some answer to, to the meaning of life. Mm-hmm. Every time I went to one of these plays, I would just, it would feel like it would get so close to truth, but then it would just, like, evaporate. And I would be like, ah, wow. and I would leave the theater every time, just, like, so frustrated. And so I did that for years. I went to all these, so many plays. Um, and then... So anyway, I so I had this that moment in Paris and I got back to LA and I you know kind of put it on the shelf for a while because I got really busy with work again and um didn't really think that much about it but 6 months later I was in LA at a coffee shop in Silver Lake which is uh kind of the hipster like area of LA and I I was at a coffee shop with my best friend who uh was also gay and he and I we we looked over at this there was a table right next to us and there were a group of like five young people and they had bibles on their table which is <laughs> which is really strange because I had never seen a bible in LA ever <laughs> and so it was a strange sighting and we um we were intrigued by it just because I don't, we just thought it was so odd and, and we were intrigued and we ended up, my friend urged me to kind of turn around and, and talk to them because he kind of liked to stir things up and get conversation. I know, he'd like to engage in kind of <laughs> crazy conversations. <laughs> and so I was like, so I turned around and I, at, at a certain point and I said, um, are you guys like Christians? What's the deal? And then we ended up in this conversation for an hour or two with this table. And they, I said, well, you know, what is your faith? Cause I don't, you know, I grew up Catholic. I don't know what, what do you believe? I don't even remember what, what, you know, religion is like, tell me what you believe. And they were like, well, we, you know, we're evangelical Christians. We go to this church in Hollywood called reality LA. And, and they kind of laid it out for me and said, this is what we believe, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, at the, near the end of the conversation, I got to the $64,000 question. And I said, well, what does your church believe about homosexuality? Uh, or, or maybe I said being gay. I don't think I used the word homosexuality. But um, so what does your church believe about that? And they said they were just very kind of honest and blunt about it. And they were like, well, we believe it's a sin and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, whoa, okay. Um, interesting. And 
What's interesting about that is because of that moment in Paris where I just felt that emptiness, I just accepted what they said to me instead of just like, you know, throwing my coffee on them and leaving. Yeah. <laughs> I just was like, okay, well, that's interesting. Because at that point I was open to any, I mean, I was open to anything because I was just like, yeah. you know, just tell me what you believe and I'll, let me, let me just see what happens. And so they invited me to their church the following Sunday and I was, I said, well, I don't know if I'm going to do that. Um, but I'll, I'll, you know, I'll decide this week. And so I had the whole week to sort of process this and, and figure out if I was going to go. And I wasn't sure really until that Sunday morning when I woke up and I, I still wasn't sure I was going to go. And I just woke up and I, I kind of got ready and I was like, am I going to, am I doing this? And I just got <laughs> in my car, drove to, to this, um, it was, a, it, the church meets in a public high school auditorium. Okay. Which was odd for me because I, you know, I was used to stained glass windows and and smoke and like, you know, bells. Um, and so I get to this church, I get to this auditorium and I walk in and the first thing that happens is I hear the the worship music. It's, it's the, the band is playing, the worship band. And I yeah. was like, um, I was immediately like, Oh, Christian music. I forgot that was a thing. And I was just, I kind of cringed at it. And then I was like, wait, it's not that bad actually. And so, and then I went and found a seat by myself. I just, that the people that invited me, who invited me, they didn't meet me there. They just, I don't know where they were, but I went huh. and found my seat and, um, the pastor comes out after the worship music and starts to preach on Romans chapter seven. And, uh, he, it, his sermons are, were an hour long. And so I, I remember just like, while as he was preaching, the more he was preaching, the more I was just riveted to the sermon and uh, to, to what he was saying. And everything started to, everything he said, Every sentence he said started to resonate with with my mind and my heart as truth, and I didn't know why. I was like, "What is going on?" Ah. Like everything he's saying is true, and I don't know why. What <laughs> what's happening? Yeah. And um, so he finishes his sermon, and uh, and then he and after the sermon, he said, "You know, if you want, there's going to be another thirty minutes of worship music." And if you want prayer for anything, you know, there's people on the side of the church from the prayer ministry you can get prayed for. And and so I had this moment of like, should I go over there and ask this, you know, ask someone to pray for me? Is that, it's humiliating? I don't know if I should do this, but, and then finally I was like, well, I'm here. I'm just going to go. And so I went over to the side of the church, the auditorium and this, I went up to this guy and I said, I don't know what I believe, but I'm here. And he said, Oh, well, let me pray for you. And he prayed for me and it was like, it seemed really intense and really powerful. And, and I just was like, how does this guy, this random stranger, like, how does he love me so much? Cause his prayer was so full of love. It was, it was crazy. And so I went back to my seat after you finished praying for me and I was processing the sermon, processing the prayer, processing the worship music, which was 
still going on for another 25 minutes. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just like flooded me and flooded my on my mind, my body, my I don't know what I mean. And God in that moment revealed Himself to me, and He was like, it was the road to Damascus kind of moment, and He was just like. I'm God. Jesus is my son. Heaven is real. Hell is real. The Bible is true. And now you're adopted into my kingdom. And I was just like, (gasps) I started started bawling. Like I couldn't, I mean, uncontrollably crying because it was like Isaiah in the temple when he sees God's holiness and he comes undone. Mm. I came, I completely came undone where to the point where I, I had never cried that hard in my entire life. I mean, even as an infant, I don't think I cried that hard. And so I, you know, I was just crying and crying for the rest of the service. I was bawling. And I was crying over two things. Number one, I was crying over my sin, my sins. You know, I was just weeping over that. But I was also crying because I was so joyful that I had just met the king of the universe, Jesus. And I was wow. so overwhelmed by it. I mean, and so the service the service ends. I somehow collect myself and get in my car. I don't know how I got home because I couldn't even see. My eyes were so red. And I get home, get into bed because I wanted, I needed to take a nap because I was so freaked out. And I... um and it happened again. It was like Moses in the cleft of the rock. God just was like, here, let me show you a little more of my glory. And he like, and I, he just passes by my bed and I just like jump out of my bed bawling again. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, God, you have my whole life. It's all yours. I'm done. Like, that's it. And I knew in that moment, I knew in, in the heart, in, the heart of my and the heart of hearts i knew that my sexuality was i knew that being gay was no longer a part of who i was i knew that that was not that was not um part of me anymore and that i was not going to live that life anymore i knew i knew it immediately and I didn't care. I didn't care at all because I had just Ow. met Jesus. I just I just met Jesus, so I didn't care that I. It was just like what, like, and I, and you know, it's like every relationship I ever had before that paled. I mean, it's like paled in comparison. So I just was like, I didn't care that I, I, you know, couldn't date anyone anymore because I didn't want to anyway. But um. So that that was that was September twentieth, two thousand nine, and it all happened in this one moment, in this one day, and it just completely transformed my life, and everything changed. And, and amazing, yeah, it was, it was crazy. And then I had to tell all my friends, which was in it was a, it was a crazy time telling them. I mean, that was me amazing. Yeah, tell me how that went. It didn't go that. It went okay, but they were definitely. There were several friends who were. I mean, one of my best friends. Uh, she was, you know, my dearest friend from high school, and you know, we were roommates. We were basically Will and Grace in L.A. Like that's who we were. I mean, we were like, we lived together. Um. 
we had witty ban- witty banter <laughs> with each other, and we were and we were best best friends. And um, I and I told her the whole story, and her first question to me was, "You're not pro life now, are you?" And I was like, I just told you, I just told you I met the king of the universe and that's your first question. Like what? (laughs) And, um, another, another best, best friend of mine, when I told him his response was, um, you know, Beckett, that's wonderful for you, but, um, don't ever proselytize me. And I was like, whoa, okay. That's weird that you're not even curious about. I mean, we've been, I've known you since high school and, and so, anyway, it was a strange time, and some people were more supportive and others were not, but um, it was a very weird period. But they, a lot, most, a lot of them, since they've seen me walk in this faith for 10 years now, they, um, they're more curious and they're more interested now, and they're more kind of loving and supportive about it. With a, with a are, few you, are you staying in touch with these old friends? I I do. Um, to the, for the most part, I do. There are a few that that kind of. Uh, well, I, I pretty much do stay. I stay in touch, but it's not. You know, I don't spend a ton of time with them because you know my my the, my Christian life has taken over, and I spend you know so much time and. And with church, you know, friends and ministry and and stuff, and you know, and I went to seminary for four years, so I it, it's difficult to stay in touch with them. But I I do. I mean, the doors are the channels are open, and we we talk. But um, and a few of them have come to Christ, which is amazing. <laughs> so, um, so that yeah, I do. Through your witness, they came yes. to Christ. Yeah, yeah, they faith. came to Christ. Yeah, uh, one of one of my friend one of at the time when I got saved, my one of my assistants was uh, he's gay. He was gay, and he actually just like I think four months ago just came to Christ, and I it's because I've been kind of witnessing to him over the years, and I finally I sent him a Bible last Christmas, and then I um, we prayed together. Uh, and then now he's in love with Jesus and like he's, he's, uh, he's all, he's all in. So it's, yeah, it's amazing. Wow. Um, wow, that's great. Uh, basically it was like God was like, you know, I, here, I'm saving you and then now I'm going to equip you and now I'm going to send you out and you're going to, you're going to help the church understand this issue biblically, theologically, culturally, personally. Experience in every possible way, you're going to help the church understand this issue, because the church has, has so obviously the culture has so affected the church and infiltrated the church that it, the church now Christians don't even know what they believe about this issue. They don't know what to think. You know, like is it is it a sin? Is it not anymore? Like the, everyone's Lady Gaga is telling me it's not and. Taylor Swift is saying it's not, so maybe it's not. Um, so, so I wrote the book mainly for the church to really just understand that yes, this is this is like you know this is still a sin, <laughs> and it hasn't changed, and that um, you know the culture is is 
lying. And, 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 you know, this is Satan. This is nothing new. Like Satan twisted God's word in the garden to Eve and he's twisting God's word now to the church and it's nothing has changed. It's all the same. And so, so this book is really just for Christians to, um, to be able to, to just kind of be settled in their convictions on this issue. Because I, I, a lot, a lot of people who've already read it have just said, wow, like I, I can finally, like I wasn't sure about this, but now I know, like I, I, now I get it. Like I get that this is a sin and it's, and it's not that, you know, it's obviously there's other sins, but this sin in particular is kind of taking over the world, <laughs> our culture. And it's, it's yeah. different from, it's different from other sins in that it's an identity thing. It's so it's so tied to identity, and so there's gay pride parades, but there's not greed pride parades or tax collector pride parades, and so it's such a big deal. And that's why it's so important to understand it in in, in different ways and understand how deceptive it is. Because I, you know, obviously when I was living that life for 20 years. Of course, I thought it was. I thought it was who I was for sure. I, I and I thought it, this was who I was for the rest of my life. I didn't ever think it would, you know, anything would change. And um, but I, uh, but I was, I was mistaken because God, you know, I, I when I met God, it just like everything shifted and changed. And and not that I became suddenly attracted to women because I still, you know, I still struggle with same sex attraction but it's not even before I got saved it was kind of like this it dominated my thought life but now it doesn't <laughs> dominate my thought life um but it's still there and I'm not attracted to women so it's not like god and obviously god created the universe he can change he can do anything he wants he could make me attracted to women if he wants but that hasn't happened and I'm but it doesn't matter to me I mean I I think of yeah. first corinthians 7 where paul is you know, says it's better to be single and like, I wish everyone could be like me. Um, and so I'm happy to be single and celibate. I'm happy to be, uh, just on mission for the kingdom because that's, I feel like that's what God has called me to. And so, and I, I feel like going forward, this is with the book and with everything else, like that's really what God has called me to do is to be, uh, be the voice of this kind of issue for the church and to, to speak on it and to, um, to, to write about it and to just really help Christians understand this issue. So that's really, I think that's, you know, my ministry is, is doing that. Do you, yeah. do you take the view that, that you're born that way? Or how do you look at that? Well, I, I, I talk about it in the book. Um, it, yeah, it's, I used to, there were different periods of my life where I thought different things. I thought, you know, it was environmental at a certain point. I thought it was hormonal maybe at a certain point. And then I, uh, you know, I thought I was born. I remember telling my dad one, at one point that I was, I was born that way. I was like, dad, I'm, I was born this way. Like, it's no big deal. I'm gay. Like, but now, I don't, no one, first of all, no one really knows the answer to that question, even though the culture tells us we're all born that way, um, that no one really knows and no scientist worth his or her salt would ever commit to one of those, to, to one of those answers. Um, 
I think it could be a combination of a lot of factors. But mm-hmm. the point is, it's all a moot point because it doesn't matter if you're born gay because we're all born in sin, we're all conceived in sin, um, and so it it doesn't matter. I mean, if 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 a scientist proved found a gay gene and showed it, to, you know, it was published today, I would just be like, great. That doesn't make any difference to me at all because we're all born in sin, and our even our genetic code and code, genetic coding is corrupted by sin. So that doesn't that doesn't mean anything to me. Um, yeah. So that's that it's for me love. is is a weak argument for you know oh I'm born gay so therefore it's right and I'm like no just because you're born with certain with certain um, predispositions doesn't make them righteous. You know, so it's yeah. It's just like if they isolate a gene that predisposes you to alcoholism or something, uh, does that mean you're not going to fight it? Right. Alcohol. So uh, right, but the, I mean, the, the truth is, I, the truth is, like with this issue, you know, obviously, I, I think that it takes nothing less than the Holy Spirit to transform to be to give you the strength to fight, quote unquote fight it you know and and to to transform you to where you don't it's not something that you want to engage in anymore right right um, well where uh where do you see are you going out to speak to other churches or what what how do you foresee kind of things going forward then after you with the book coming out? Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I've been speaking at churches uh, throughout seminary. I was speaking at churches and uni- at different kind of Christian universities, and um, I, I think that that's just going to continue um, to speak at, at churches and um, various places and you know conferences. But I, uh, uh, yeah, and with I think the book. It's just kind of like God just giving me more of a platform to be able to do that. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm, you know, it's not, it's like, to me, it's, it's, you know, it's like this issue. I just want people to understand this issue and I want people to understand the gospel and how it can transform your life. And that's really my main motivation. It's not like to win an argument or a debate or, it's my main goal is to to get the gospel to people <laughs> and, and and just help them help them understand that you know because I feel like you know the rich young ruler the rich young man in the gospels he he came up to Jesus and, and said you know good teacher how can I inherit eternal life and and Jesus goes through all this stuff with him and and basically he's like okay well go sell all of, your, all of your possessions and come follow me because Jesus knew what was his kind of the one thing that he was attached to or his idol in his life. And, and then the rich young man kind of leaves and doesn't follow Christ. And, and that, I feel like that's the issue with the, the gay community. It's like, this is a deal breaker. You know, it's like, I can't give this thing up because this is the this is my identity, this is my everything and so I I can't follow Christ. And I obviously again felt the same way. But um I just want people to see that, you know, that Jesus is infinitely more 
important and more worth it than than kind of this momentary pleasure, kind of like Esau selling his birthright for a single meal. Like Esau wanted to immediate satisfaction, and and so uh, rather than waiting for kind of his inheritance, and I, I just that's what I really want to get across to people. It's like this life is so short; it's a vapor. And what do you want? You know, what do you want it to be at the end of your life? Do you want it to be this? Do you want to? I mean, it's so uh, crucial. You know, it's like eternal eternity is at stake here. You know, this is like major. So, what do you want yeah. your life to be? And so, that's what I really want to get out to people. Thank you so much for joining us today. To find out more about God Reports, head over to GodReports.com and look for their inspiring stories and read more about what God is doing around the world. Thank you.